You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. I'm your host, John Bush, and we have a wonderful program lined up for you today. We're going to be joined by Pam Popper. She's with Make Americans Free Again. They've done immense work when it comes to pushing back on all the COVID nonsense, and she's quite the advocate for homeschooling as well. Uh, for a variety of different reasons, we are going to be joined by Pam here in just one moment. But before we do, I want to invite you to register for the Free the Children Homeschool Summit. It's taking place July 14th this week. It's absolutely free to attend, no cost whatsoever. All you got to do is sign up at livefree.academy slash free the children. That's livefree.academy slash free the children. And you'll be able to join us live. It kicks off at 11 a.m. Central Time. And we're going to go for several hours. We have some incredible guests that are going to be joining us. We're going to hear from uh, the one, the only Dr. Ron Paul. Really excited to have him. Uh, Richard Grove will be joining us as well as well as my good friend uh, David Rodriguez. He's an outspoken advocate for homeschooling and unschooling and just respecting children's autonomy, really, at the end of the day. Uh, On top of that, we're going to be joined by Amani. She's a homeschooling mom of four, and uh, her and her partner, River, do all sorts of educational stuff for kiddos. They're going to kick off some programs to teach kids uh, natural building. Carrie McDonald, she's with the Foundation for Economic Education. Jack Spierko, he's a grandfather that homeschools his grandkids and an outspoken critic of government school. Of course, Pam Popper will be joined by today. We get to pick her brain. And uh, we're also going to hear from my good friend Vivi, who's here in Central Texas. Brittany J, another homeschooling parent. It's going to be an incredible event. Again, you can register for free, no cost whatsoever, at livefree.academy slash free the children livefree.academy slash free the children. I very much hope you will be joining us. It's going to be one heck of an event. But without further ado, let's bring on our guest for today. Pam Popper, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to have you and very grateful that you're going to be participating in the summit. You've done some amazing work and uh, help to spur an entire movement of people that are pushing back on all the craziness going on in this world. So uh, maybe we can just start by having you introduce yourself to our audience and sharing some of the work that you've done over the past few years to push back on this COVID craziness. Okay, great. Well, you know, I think that a lot of people are saying things like, I feel like I've been in training for this my whole life, you know, and I, I sort of feel like this too. Um, my background was first business and then I got interested in health and I went back to school and then I opened a healthcare company 27 years ago. We specialized in informed medical decision-making and, uh, that led to doing a lot of research to develop programs and articles and, um, uh, that sort of thing about health, how to make informed decisions about health. Um, so uh, I was involved in making some documentaries. I've written some books. So I guess when this all started, I knew exactly what it was. I'd written articles on fake pandemics that have been declared before. I'd written articles on medical tyranny um, and all of the, the nonsense and the collaboration between industry and government and the drug companies. I mean, the whole enchilada, right? So I knew what this was. and. Within a very short period of time, however, I also knew that this was deeper and darker than anything that had happened before and that they were never going to let us go unless we pushed back in an enormous way. This was one of these things where you either solve the problem or we just descend into a hellacious environment. I don't think any of us want to live in. So it was in that environment that we created Make Americans Free Again. Initially, the group was created and we started groups because we knew we had to raise enormous amounts of money for lawsuits and we've been real successful at that but we soon realized that our people needed a lot of assistance just navigating life during this whole thing which is going to go on for a long time i mean if anybody watching this thinks this is going to go away next week you're sadly mistaken on that because it's not going to and um and so we got into um everything from where to go shop without a mask and where you could eat dinner without plexiglass to homeschooling 
um, mentoring programs between experienced and new parents for homeschooling and uh, uh, saving small businesses. And now we're doing a lot with community gardens and direct purchase from farmers because I think we all know there's a food shortage coming and uh, we need to be prepared for that. So addressing the challenges of daily living. And, um, you know, last year we were very involved in withdrawing kids from homeschool uh, to homeschool. And um, I did not think that that was going to be such a big focus uh, this year as it was last year, but it's even more important this year than it was last year for reasons that we can talk about. So we anticipate being very, very busy this summer, helping to get as many children out of these places they used to call school. I wouldn't call them that anymore and into um, successful homeschool programs. Right on, cool. Yeah, I wanna talk more about the work that you did. This is an Evian, not an Evian product placement there. But I wanna talk more about the work that you've uh, done pushing back on the COVID lockdowns and all the mandates. But let's talk more about uh, homeschooling and government school. So uh, what do you think are some of the biggest concerns facing parents now when it comes to government schools? Um, especially after COVID or just what are some of the topics that you think people should be aware of that maybe they aren't? Well, I think the first thing is they're inferior. Kids aren't learning anything. And we noticed that years ago when we get high school interns in here and they, they just didn't have the initiative to pick up the phone when it's ringing. I mean, you know, just, just um, I, I don't even know how to describe how ill-equipped these kids were when they came in here to actually do anything productive. Um, and our homeschool interns have always been better. But um, I think the big issue right now, and it's horrifying and it's terrifying at the same time, is this transgender agenda, which actually emanates from the CDC. There's quite a lot of information on the CDC's website, is endorsed by organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics, the social workers. So if you're a parent, the entire cabal is against you on this issue. So here's what I'm getting at this transgender um influence begins in kindergarten um one of the things that the cares act did was it provided a lot of outside funding to send outside people into schools and many of these are counselors and teachers aides and people like this who um, are actively promoting this transgender dysphoria and um, teachers some teachers are speaking out about this that they're horrified that it's going on in schools but let, let's get to what the real issue is here um, I think one thing we could all acknowledge, particularly if you've been a parent, is that little children, you can get them excited about anything. I mean, if you have a group of kindergarten through th third graders, you know, you can say the moon's made of cheese and tomorrow we're going to the moon to eat the cheese and the kids will get all excited about going to the moon. They're highly suggestible, right? In high school, teenagers, I call them herd animals, all right? They want to be like the most popular girl or boy and they kind of want to go along with the crowd. So. Keeping that in mind, um, children are being exposed to this transgender uh, agenda. Um, little children, kindergarten through third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, grade school kids, they have transgender closets where the child goes to school in his uh, usual clothes and then he becomes a girl by putting on girls' clothing at the closet and uh, at the end of the day changes clothes to go back home. And this is all secret. They actively keep this from the parents and the school systems, we've caught them lying about it. When the parents directly confront them, are you doing this? They say no. Well, I'll, I'll share the story of what happened to one girl in Texas or in Florida rather that will sort of illustrate the whole point. So this child, uh, 12 years old, um, was overheard saying to a friend who said, you like video games, that's a boy's thing. And she said, well, maybe I ought to be a boy. And this guidance counselor overheard her and started a series of, of appointments with her in secret, told her to keep it a secret from her parents. Um, and uh, the child explained to her parents eventually that the uh, guidance counselor's office was full of all these posters of transgender and flags, all this kind of stuff. And she kind of thought it was cool, but she starts having these secret meetings with the, with the guidance counselor and she gets a boy's name. She asked the guidance counselor not to call her by the boy's name in front of her friends, but the guidance counselor did it anyway. And the kids started making fun of her. So she tried to kill herself at school and uh, tried twice. They didn't call the parents until the second time. And by the time the parents got to the school, Child Protective Services and the police had hauled the child off to a location unknown a psychiatric facility. Um, they took their children and their child out of school and they're suing um, the school system involved in this. 
Um, sometimes what happens is Child Protective Services takes the children away from the parents because the parents don't support um, this gender dysphoria stuff, and, and that's considered child abuse. And uh, the state of California actually has some language in their statute saying that it is child abuse for parents not to support transgender dysphoria. And uh, another episode, younger child who went to an after-school club, it was called an art club, but it actually was a transgender club. And uh, this kid ended up with all kinds of psychological problems. The parents pulled her out of school. They went to the principal, the principal supported it. They went into the school board, the school board supported it. They uh, found out that um, the state they live in has an agency, a state agency that teaches the people how to do this in the schools. The school got upset because the parents took this kid out of school and put her in a Christian school. And they actually told her they were thinking about calling Child Protective Services to take the child away. Now, uh, uh, this last thing I'll say, and then I want to you know, turn this more into a conversation, but um, uh, possession is nine-tenths of the law, all right? Once these people have your kid, now you've got to hire an attorney to go, uh, to go get your child back. And as I mentioned before, the problem you have is all the people who might be experts, like the Academy of Pediatrics, you know, pediatrician, social worker, psychologist, I'm not saying all of them are on board with this, but their associations are. So it's difficult to find somebody who's going to defend you and they will have experts who will not defend you, who will side with the school, CPS and the state and that sort of thing. So this is a horribly unsafe environment for children to be in. And, um, and it's not going to stop. That's a, no, one last thing I'll say is um, some members of my local group have this problem with a school system, very wealthy school system just north of where I live. One of the parents said to me a couple of weeks ago, we figured out what the school board is all about. The school board members will sit there with their arms crossed and they'll listen to a half hour of parents saying how upset they are about all this stuff and all that kind of thing, knowing that the half hour will be up soon and then they can just do whatever they want to do. There have been episodes where the school board just walks out of the meeting until everybody's gone and then they come back in after all the parents have gone and then they vote on whatever they want to vote on. So you're not going to influence it. You're not going to change it. It's right now, you know, almost mid-July. If you think that this is going to get changed before your child goes to school this fall, that's not going to happen. So the only safe thing to do is keep your kids the hell out of these places. They're unsafe for children. Uh, right on. Thanks for sharing all that. I'm always reminded of this Malcolm X quote, and of course it was a different context, but it still rings true that only a fool would let his enemy educate his children, right? Mm -hmm. So myself and a lot of folks in our audience are libertarians and anarchists. We don't, we're not fond of the government. So for folks that value freedom, it really, you really are doing yourself and your family a disservice by sending them to these indoctrination centers, as many people refer to them. Uh, let me ask you this. Now, I understand in certain areas, probably in major cities, this phenomenon of injecting gender ideas and confusion into children is much more prevalent, perhaps less so in more conservative small towns. Let me ask you this, how much of this is coming from activist teachers, right? Maybe like a very far left teacher, that's, that's what they do in their spare time. They tweet about it all day, right? And, and how much of it is actually embedded in the curriculum? Most of it's embedded in the curriculum. So it doesn't really matter who the teacher is. The child will be exposed to it. There are books in the library. You know, the library used to be a safe place for a third or fourth grader to go browse in the, in the elementary school library. Now there are books that are pornographic. There's a very poignant video of a parent reading from a book and the school board saying you can't use language like that in this setting. And the parent saying, this is interesting because my fourth grader checked this book out of the library that I'm reading from right now. So it's embedded in the school. It's embedded in the curriculum. It's embedded in, it's in part of the DNA going on. So you might actually have a teacher like, like, let's say you send your child to elementary school and uh and that child has a fourth grade teacher who thinks this is all horse manure that does not mean that your child will not be exposed to this through clubs and activities and in the library and um playing with kids on the playground who have a teacher who's woke and into all this ridiculousness so um there's no avoiding it and by the way I, I live in a small, in a suburb of Columbus, and uh, 
And it's so woke here. I mean, this would be considered a small town uh, school system. It's so woke here. It's despicable. I wouldn't send a child uh, to this school system if my life depended on it. So um, there may be certain very rural areas where it's been uh, where it's been purged. But uh, let, let's look at the state of Florida. You and I were talking about this before we started recording this interview. Everybody thinks Florida is just swell. Well, let me tell you about Florida. Um, the legislature there passed a law saying that you can't have transgender education in grades K through three. And then they took a victory lap and the governor of Florida is better than most. He takes a victory lap. Aren't we rocking down here in Florida for, to protect parental rights? Well, what about the fourth grader? I guess what we can conclude from the inadequate legislation that they passed, in my opinion, and that DeSantis smiled and signed, right? That by the time you're nine years old and going into the fourth grade, being influenced by all this stuff is just fine because there's nothing to stop it in the state of Florida. So again, you, there is no safe space for kids in these god-awful places called school. And, and I've been a big advocate since I started Make Americans Free Again. You have to fight fire with fire. We're all, you know, people in this country are way too nice and passive, all right? Here's how you get rid of this stuff in school. Get your kids out. If enough kids are, are pulled out of school, you know, all of the revenue that goes to the schools based on the number of children in the school, you decimate that school, get three quarters of the kids out of school, and they will have this great awakening call. We better start listening to the parents because we're having to lay off these woke teachers now and the support staff and maybe close buildings. Some of that is going on already, but it needs to be accelerated to the place where you bring these people to their knees. The teachers unions and the National Education Association and these organizations who, who perpetuate this stuff. So it's, it's top down in addition to bottom up. Um, they, will, they will not be able to continue to do this if you disable them. And that's what we have to do. Right on. So you've talked about just intrinsically in your experience, mine as well, homeschool kids have a tendency to be brighter, more critical thinking, more self-starters. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about this crazy woke stuff and gender stuff going on, being taught to kids. I personally have no problem with adults making whatever choice they want to make, preference, sexual identity, however they want to show up, whatever. But it's completely inappropriate what's being the confuse. I think it just confuses the heck out of kids, really, yeah. and just causes all sorts of just weirdness. Um, uh, what are some other things that parents should be concerned about or that in your view are a reason why the parents need to get their kids out of government school. And can you also update us on what's going on with the COVIDness? Because from what I understand, there's still schools that are requiring masks of the children. Well, they're, they're going to go back to masks and they're going to, you know, the, there was a victory in California. They beat back the um, uh, LA County, the LA school system wanted to make it mandatory for COVID vaccines. But, um, but they'll try again, and they're trying to get it on the childhood schedule. And, and again, you know, you, the forces are against you to keep your kid from being exposed to all this. And remember also that these children who are, have been terrified, you know, we all talk about being adults. Let me just back up and say, we all talk about being adults and going to the farmer's market when it's 80 degrees, 85 degrees outside in the sunshine. You see the masked people when you walk into the grocery store on a sunny day and the masked people. Okay, and we look at that and we go, oh my gosh, those poor terrified people. I mean, I'm not angry with them. I'm sorry for them, right? Well, think about the influence on impressionable children watching these kids walk around scared half to death of everybody and telling them we're going to kill our grandparents if we don't wear masks. I mean, all of that ridiculousness is, is, um, is again, a very, very bad influence. But I think that um, even aside from COVID and transgender ideology, I think one of the biggest things I can tell you is that um, I'm 65 years old. When I was in school, there was a very clean line between what the school was supposed to do and what was the purview of families and parents, right? And you had this partnership between the school and the parents, and they listened to what the parents wanted. And my, par my parents sent my sister and I to school to, for academics. And, and the expectation was you were going to be excellent at academics. Okay, I, I, I don't know what I thought was going to happen if I didn't get good grades, but I wasn't going to experiment around and find out. We were expected to do well. And, um, and so it was all about academics teaching you how to be disciplined and to learn. Now, I, I still think it was way too programmatic. I mean, I, I look back, but, but the bottom line is I learned how to function. I learned how to read. 
I understood how to do math. I understood how to sit still in a chair and pay attention to what somebody was saying, whether I wanted to listen to it or not. There were a lot of very good things that came out of schools that knew how to stay in their lane. Well, part of what we're talking about here is schools that are not staying in their lane. They, they, they you know, go into this theory that uh, it takes a village to raise a child. You know what it takes to raise a child? Parents, all right? You need parents to raise a child. School's job's not to raise the child. So my point is that while they've you know, devolved into all this nonsense we're talking about, the academics have gone down the tubes, right? The kids can't read, they can't write, they're not critical thinkers. And so if you want your children to have a future, you have, they have to learn. They have to learn things like how to think. They have to learn how to read. Um, I'll share with you, one of my friends pulled her teenagers out of school and um, for all the reasons we're talking about last year, mostly COVID related, now she's glad they're out of school for the reasons we're talking about now. But my point is that she discovered that her 14-year-old didn't know how to read. How do you get to be 14 years old and not know how to read? And so a parent in our group who was mentoring this mom said, before you do anything, like don't worry about anything, you gotta get this kid to the place where she wants to read and she knows how to read because people who can't read cannot get ahead. It doesn't matter what you wanna do, even if you wanna go into one of the trades, you have to, you have to be able to read, right? So, so for so many reasons, um, there, there's just not much good going on at most of the schools in this country right now. There are probably some exceptions, but I would say the, the rule is you wanna get your kid away from this. All right, I couldn't agree further. So homeschooling is a viable alternative as is unschooling, if that works for some families, more of a child-led learning. And then, of course, there are some like-minded private schools out there. Mm -hmm. Although I struggle, my, I have two kiddos, and they've, been, they've never set foot in a government school, and they've been homeschooled and unschooled, and we've done some private schools. It's actually been rather challenging. I definitely want to talk about some of the challenges. Nobody is saying it's going to be easy, but you know, none of the good things in life tend to be easy, the things that are really worthwhile. Um, and I struggled here. I'm in Austin, Texas, right? So it used to be cool, hip, and weird, but now it's very, very left and woke, and they really went hardcore on the COVID stuff, especially. Mm -hmm. We since moved out to the more small, conservative rural town, just 30 minutes east. So we can still go to the city to visit my family and go to a show or whatever, but that life is a lot better and slower, and people are a lot more friendly and country yep. here. It's, it's good old Texas, yes. but nonetheless, I thought perhaps, and this was during the COVID stuff, um, one of the schools they were at didn't end up working out, so I was looking for another school. And there's all these schools that were very much, you know, granola and very, they were into yoga, and it was something that aligned with, with my values and my beliefs. And, and they had gardens and permaculture, right? So I was like, okay, these guys, hopefully they're into natural health as well, because sometimes that comes with the territory. But that actually was not the case. and on the phone they're like we only require masking if the kids are not able to distance and i kind of thought like okay maybe this is just one of those things there's a lot of businesses i mean i would never do this i'm loud and proud about it but sometimes a business has a sign on the wall and it's like wear your mask or whatever but they don't enforce it or anything but sure enough they very much did enforce it and they even went so far it was in the winter time and it was like 40 degrees and they had all of the classroom windows and doors open for circulation and my daughter was freezing and stuff so she, she didn't last longer than a week at that school. And one of the big things was they did actually make the kids wear masks and they were very serious about it. And they even had the kids like policing each other. So we pulled her out of there really quick. It was, did not work. But what's some advice that you would give for parents that are thinking about making that transition? Because there are a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of challenges. A lot of parents feel insecure. How, you know, I haven't been formally trained for this. So what would you say to some of the parents that are kind of on the edge, but they just feel a little unsure about it? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think the, the first thing is that um, the reality of today is that um, we are all going to live with inconvenience. And the question is, what type of inconvenience do you want to sign up for? Because if you're one of those people who has your child taken away, it's very inconvenient to pony up $50,000 for lawyers to go get your kid back, right? Um, so, so it's a whole lot less inconvenient to homeschool. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is that um, I had this view of homeschooling before I knew more about it, where I thought that somebody had to be sitting at the kitchen table with the child all day long 
and you do math for 45 minutes in history. I mean, I really didn't know anything about it. And so when I started learning more about it from parents who homeschool and were teaching some of our other parents to homeschool, I got great education about it. Um, school can be at night, it can be weekends. Um, it generally doesn't take as long for the schoolwork to be done because, and there's no homework, generally speaking. So this returns a lot of power to the family. So the child, instead of being occupied from 5.30 in the morning until midnight with school and activities and homework, it's a lot more family oriented, which is I think what a lot of people would like to have. Um, they don't like this constant programming from the school. The other thing is that you just just get rid of everything. Like you talk about unschooling or de-schooling. Um, I do think that there has to be academics, and that doesn't mean that it doesn't it isn't um, child driven. Like we, I, I have a coworker here who uh, homeschools her children, and um, you know history. You have to know history, but you don't have to know all the history of the world. You have to study history from the standpoint of a period of time you're interested in. Uh, this young lady, like me, World War II um, buff, likes to read books about that time. If you know how to do research on World War II, you can figure out the French Revolution and anything else that happened, right? So, so the whole idea is teaching kids to like learning and then teaching them how to, how to learn instead of just memorizing facts and that sort of thing. And, and there's a lot of freedom as to how you go about this and you can match it to a certain extent, the way that you go about it to the child. And so, um, you know, if you, uh, in, in the case, going back to my friend whose daughter couldn't read, um, the mentoring parents said, listen, if you just, if you took the first three or four months of the school year, just got this child to the place where she could read, all the rest of it would come really easy. And in fact, this little girl did an entire year of math whole school year's worth of math in two weeks, two weeks, all right? But by the time that happened, she was interested in learning, you know? So, so my point is that there are many, many ways to go about doing this here. And it's not gonna be you sitting at the kitchen table with your child eight hours a day. And um, there are all kinds of ways that it can work. You can um, partner up with a group of parents. And I mean, if I had children right now, I have a job where I can control my time and how I spend it. So I could keep the kids on Monday um, and somebody else could take them on Tuesday. Or you know, there's, So just clear your mind of all your preconceived notions of what school looks like. Take the time to figure it out. And you'll find that kids don't learn as much at school as you might think. So if you were, you know, we have parents who are panicked because they didn't have a plan in August. They said, listen, if you don't start school until November 1st, those kids will still be fine by the end of the school year because they're not learning as much as you might think. So just relax a little bit and take the time to figure it out. I'll also suggest that people subscribe to the Epic Times. First of all, it's a great newspaper with the right, you know, very accurate information, but they have homeschool resources in every issue of their newspaper. There's, there's at least a couple of full sheets of the paper uh, allocated to homeschool and parents sharing their experience and all that sort of thing. And that's another resource to look at as well. And we have a whole bunch of homeschool resources on our website at makeamericansfreeagain.com. Excellent. Excellent. What about one of the biggest objections? And yeah, uh, the website's makeamericansfreeagain.com, makeamericansfreeagain.com slash protecting-our-children. It's linked to you on the homepage as well, makeamericansfreeagain.com. It's an excellent resource that you've gathered here with all sorts of information, uh, very thorough too, that would really help parents to get some answers and uh, help to kind of clear things up, maybe some misconceptions. One of the biggest hurdles that I find is um, when both parents, or maybe it's a single parent, which would be even more challenging, uh, they both work full time and maybe they don't have the flexibility that an entrepreneur has or someone that runs their own business. So uh, you mentioned splitting the care and the teaching amongst different families. What are some other strategies that parents could employ to overcome that hurdle? Well, sometimes you can bring the child to work depending on the age. Um, I think, I think you know, this, this is an argument for starting Make Americans Free Again uh, groups is that um, if, if I'm very focused on this, first of all, it's my organization, but, but the other thing is that a lot of what goes on in our groups would not go on with strangers, all right? So the parents who are mentoring other parents where, you know, somebody's got the kids on Monday and somebody else on Tuesday, and hey, can you pick them up if I drop them off, uh, you know, at, at the other person's house, all, all this kind of stuff going on. 
you need close relationships between people. So I tell people, the sooner you start to make Americans free again group, the sooner you have a group of collaborators to help you with anything. In other words, I don't have any children, but I have a great big office here, and I don't know that I'd want to supervise grade school at each children, but if you needed a place to drop off your kids to do schoolwork during the day, you could use one of my conference rooms, and people have done that before, right? Um, so uh, you, you have to get, the, the way we're all going to survive this whole mess that we're in, and it is a big mess, and it's not going away anytime soon, is we're going to collaborate with people who we trust and, and have become close allies. And so um, just a lot of this has gone on in the homeschooling thing, but but let's take it to the food level, right? Food is expensive right now. It's going to become more expensive, and soon it isn't going to be available for any price. Look at what's going on in Singapore. So what are we doing about it? Well, I can tell you there's nobody in my home group, my Make America Spirit group, that's going to starve. We have a six-acre community garden. We've taught people how to buy directly from farmers. Um, we'll have enough food to give to people who don't have any money, even outside the group. So, so this is the way that you solve these problems. It's the way we used to solve problems in the United States of America before we all got so busy looking at our phones and paying attention to everything except what counts, which is our taking care of ourselves, our families, our friends, and our community. You have to get back focused on that. And this, you don't do this through Zoom and conference call and all this kind of stuff. You do this with people staying in the same or meeting in the same room together and becoming close trusted friends that's what we have to do so um you have to so i think that our need for association is significant and we're fortunately starting new groups all the time at make americans free again because people need these resources and there's no way for me to provide it to somebody in nebraska from columbus ohio i can't help you with your kids in nebraska you can't save the chinese restaurant across the street if you live in minneapolis because I'm in central Ohio, but we can solve all of those problems with local people congregating together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's definitely critical that we find freedom-minded, good people and work together on common problems. We have something similar with uh, the Freedom Cell Network. So we started this decentralized peer-to-peer -peer mutual aid group and a lot of people are getting together. There's many families that pulled their kids out of government school and are, and are doing a little homeschool group. and. Food production is absolutely critical, and I think a lot of folks in the freedom and truth community and health freedom community are really spearheading those efforts. Uh, here in Central Texas, we just chipped in uh, to buy a cow to get butchered, and we ended up selling shares to have a whole cow butchered in literally like three days. So that's pretty cool. It's still going to take a few weeks to turn around. but. Um, yeah, it, it, you said earlier it doesn't take a village. I mean, it does take a village, a chosen village. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to do with their village and the bureaucrats and mm -hmm. obviously all the CPS goons and stuff. But cool. Well, it's really cool to see that you guys have those resources there. Have you all done any legal battles? Are there any currently any legal battles when it comes to some of this uh, homeschool stuff? Because I know in some jurisdictions it's actually a challenge. You kind of have to ask permission to homeschool your kids. And then in some countries it's completely illegal. Can you kind of talk about some of the legal obstacles and, and what it takes? Most, um, you know, that's again where, where parents can help. Um, in, in a state like Ohio, you don't really need permission to homeschool, but there are some things you'd want to be aware of in case somebody contacts you, um, including, for example, having somebody sign off on your curriculum and certify that the child had completed certain things. Um, in other states, it's much more difficult to do, but that's again where you would want to be with a, a group. Now, we're not litigating um, anything like this. Our lawsuits are related to uh, doctors who are being censored or losing their licenses for doing the right thing, um, challenging the emergency declaration, dealing with the vaccine issue, employment issues, um, uh, vax or terminate uh, type situations with employees, um, that sort of thing. So we and, and we're not doing anything. Our organization isn't fighting the battles of the um, kids who've been damaged at school. There's some nonprofit organizations that have taken that on as their sole mission. But to tell you how bad it is, there the, these nonprofit organizations you have dozens of lawyers working for them and saying that there are so many screwed up kids and parents who've lost custody and all this kind of stuff. They're, they're reaching the breaking point. This is not any longer a unique thing that happens once in a while. It's it's happening so often that they're completely overloaded. So so uh, anyway, um, but, but again, where you're going to find your help. If you live in New Hampshire, you need to talk to parents in New Hampshire who've been homeschooling for 10 years so they can tell you how they did it and how to work within the law. If you're living in Ohio, you're going to want to talk to Ohio parents. 
So this business of finding your tribe and building, um, we think we do a great job of doing it. Freedom themselves with lots of different ways to do it, but you've got to get connected. And what, one thing I'll say about this, you know, I used to think that if I was connected, quote unquote, to other people, I was around a lot of people, but I don't think I could really count on any of them to do anything for me if I needed it, right? So it's great to be a big donor to a charitable organization. Everybody loves you when you're a big donor, you get to be the bell of the ball and you get invited to all the right things, right? But I think I confuse that with connection and it, it, it isn't. I would rather have my Make Americans Free Again friends on, because they have my back, right? Something happens. I know these people are there for me. I can't say that about the people in these organizations that I used to think for my social network. They were happy to take my money. That's uh -huh. a different thing, you know? So, so you got to find your tribe and the tribe will help you with all of this stuff. And again, it's got to be local, local, local. It's the only way that this works. Yeah. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about money with the economy changing, right? And we're likely entering another recession. And who knows how bad the inflation can get? Or uh, it's seeming more and more like the United States dollar is going to get dislodged as the world reserve currency, which would have incredibly crazy ramifications in this country and globally. And I'm thinking, like, you know, when it comes to money, like, what do, what do we need money for? You can use money to build wealth, but in most instances, it's a currency to exchange for goods and services. And I'm, I'm kind of centering in lately that, like, what's most valuable is, is helping other people and providing value for other people and having that be a currency that, and then that leads to reciprocity. And, like, one of the things I learned early on about wealth is back when I was with my ex-wife and we were traveling around the country doing activism. It must have been like 2009. And she cashed out her 401k and we were living off the 401k basically and a, and a credit card. Um, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. But one thing that we could do is pull into any state and contact folks on social media. This was back when we were really involved in the Ron Paul revolution, right? So it's super cool that Ron Paul is going to be speaking at, at the summit that we have going on. But I thought that that was like, that was something that, felt wealthy for me to be able to show up in a given area and be able to find somebody that has a common bond with you by virtue of sharing a political belief, for example. Mm -hmm. Fast forward now a decade and a lot of those relationships have flourished and a lot of those connections have really uh, been deeply established. So it, it, I think it's one of the most important things, the most valuable things nowadays is helping other people and having a group of people that can get your back. So I agree. Knows, I mean, everything's getting really, really crazy. All right. Um, for those of you that are just joining us, we are uh, speaking with Pam Popper. She is going to be presenting at the Free the Children Homeschool Summit. You can register for free at livefree.academy slash free the children, livefree.academy slash free the children. It's taking place July 14th. We have all sorts of incredible speakers, including one, the only Dr. Ron Paul. He uh, has a homeschool curriculum, the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum. He also wrote a book called School Revolution, and he's been a tireless advocate for freedom and homeschooling. Richard Grove is going to talk to us about the work of John Taylor Gatto, the underground history of American education. Uh, Carrie McDonald is an advocate for unschooling. Jack Spierko, the list goes on and on. And, of course, Pam Popper will be presenting as well. So we really want you to join and uh, learn what some of the biggest issues are facing families that have their kids in government schools. And we really want to pave the way and show folks that there is an alternative. And there's a community of supportive people that want to help folks transition out of these government schools. Um, let's shift gears a little bit, and uh, I'd love to get some updates on some of the work that you guys are doing, pushing back on this mandate stuff. What are some of the bigger victories that you guys have had uh, in y'all's effort, and, and where well, is most, that at? Our most recent one is we restored the medical license of Dr. Paul Goslin, who was attacked by the Maine Medical Board for writing vaccine exemptions. Um, that was a very expensive battle. And by the way, just to let you know, uh, if we, if you just look at all the doctors who are in trouble in the United States, if there's, if, if not a single new doctor gets in trouble, it's going to take 50 to 100, maybe 200 million dollars just to deal with all of that. Okay. Uh, so we were successful in getting Dr. Goslin's uh, license back. Um, we, one of our attorneys, uh, one, uh, one, uh, got the Pennsylvania Music Association to back down and not require vaccines for competition. Um, we had an attorney who was successful in getting rid of uh, school bus masking. 
Uh, in one state, we got an injunction for the NYPD to not have to get vaccines. We ended vaccine passports in Boston. We ended vaccine passports in New York. We won a vax or terminate case in Gainesville, Florida. And sometimes we win when we file. I mean, I, I live in a hard lockdown state and uh, we did not have a second lockdown here like all the other hard lockdown states. And our emergency declaration was lifted in June of last year. And so we never really got to trial on our bigger case, uh, but, um, but the governor was worried about going to trial and without any notice last June, just had a press conference one day and said, go free, Ohioans, just go free. And um, it could be a coincidence that we were going to be in court in a couple of days, but uh, I think not really. So we've been uh, we've been successful at this. We're currently defending more and more and more and more doctors. We are providing support experts and legal assistance on Paul Thomas's case in Oregon. He's the pediatrician who published his data on vaccinated versus unvaccinated, partially vaccinated kids. They took his license away without even a hearing. So we're involved in that case, um, you know, so uh, I don't even think I can, we, I, we probably have five or six dozen lawsuits right now that we're involved in active litigation at this time. Wow. So it sounds like there's been a lot of victories. Is it that you guys just have such like a slam dunk, slam dunk legal arguments? Because oftentimes, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, or it's a sound legal argument, or it's backed up by case law, oftentimes the judges just have a tendency to ignore the law. They don't even follow their own playbook. So what's been your experience with how some of these judges or the boards that make the ultimate decision, how are they responding? Well, I think a couple of things I'll mention. I think the first thing is that we're very particular about attorneys. We don't have some reference list of 5,000 lawyers listed, go to the website, pick somebody. We interview attorneys. If we think they're great, we try to get them to join our team. If we don't, then we don't invite them to join our team. Um, we operate with legal strategy. In other words, the, I, I use a word that people don't like so much, but we better get used to it. And it's called discipline. We have got to stop running around with our pants on fire, screaming and hollering with our fists in the air and thinking that that's gonna solve any problems. I mean, I understand being angry, I'm angry too. There's a time when I want to run around with my fist in there, but we got to buckle down and we got to think like our enemy. They're smart, they're strategic, they've got unlimited funds, and they've been planning it for a long time. So the only way we're going to deal with this effectively is to be smart and strategic ourselves. Um, you, a lot of lawsuits, I know people like to beat up the court system, but we're seeing some great stuff come out of the Supreme Court, including that West Virginia v. EPA case that basically is the beginning of dismantling the administrative state, which is where a lot of this god-awful stuff comes from, is these agencies, both at the federal and state level, staffed with millions of people who are not elected, accountable to nobody, making up rules and regulations. That's how they pulled off this COVID thing. That was a great decision from the Supreme Court. There have been some others that I think were pretty great as well, the decision about OSHA. There is a lack of understanding about the legal system, uh, and that's on our side of the issue, too. My pet peeves are misinformation on our side of the issue. Our side of the issue, we have people misrepresenting facts just as much as the other side. And, I, and, I, and we have to be equal opportunity critics. And if we don't learn to rein ourselves in, this all is going to be a lot harder to solve, right? But the other thing is lack of understanding about the courts at all and the laws. And I'll give you an example. So this lawsuit that got filed to end uh, mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers and to end mandatory vaccines for um, employers who employ 100 or more people, that was going to be enforced by OSHA. Very good decision. They said OSHA didn't have the authority. Congress didn't give it to them. If OSHA wants the authority, they have to go to Congress. They have to get it. That was the right decision. Then people say, yes, but they didn't do anything about the required vaccines for healthcare workers. Well. Congress gave authority to CMS to put stipulations and conditions on reimbursement. The Supreme Court followed the law. So people are still complaining about that judgment, but it's a good idea before you start complaining about some of the stuff to go read what the law says, because the judgments have not all been bad. Um, I remember in the summer of 2020, um, people were losing, almost every case got lost. And the reason was, and we were looking at this, we're reading these cases, the people were making the claim that their, their rights were being violated. You know what the government said? You're right, but we have no choice because that's an emergency. And the judge would say, well, there you go, right? Well, we filed a lawsuit after we watched a, you know, a thousand of these things get thrown out. 
and said, we're challenging the emergency declaration itself. In other words, we think that you've committed fraud. We demand that you show us evidence of what your numbers are and, and show that there's, uh, everything you're doing is justified. Scared the crap out of them. That's why we didn't get locked down a second time. So there are bad judges and there are bad courts. There are also some very good judges and good courts. There are also a lot of bad lawyers filing bad lawsuits where the people don't have standing or they filed it in a jurisdiction where you can't possibly get anything done. Um, and I think, I, I like to think it's all well-intentioned, even the misstatements on our side of the issue that are spreading around factually. I, I wanna say it's well-intentioned, but it doesn't really matter because it just makes it harder to solve the problem. So I think we have to be careful to not arrive at conclusions and just repeat what other people are telling us because, and, and let me give you just one example on the misinformation thing, all right? So people are talking about all of these uh, lots, the different lot numbers and the difference in injuries and all this sort of thing, all right, from the vaccines. Okay, if you go to the VAERS database, and, and I've done it, and we have a data analyst who used to work for the CDC Foundation who's done this with us. The field for lot number is not filled in most of the time, most of the time, okay? So the only accurate thing you could say is a very small data set that doesn't represent anything because we don't have any data on the vast majority of it suggests that there may be some differences in the lots. We have no way of knowing. And so all we can do is point out that this very limited data set that isn't even a subset of anything because the, the data set is completely incomplete, right? But, oh my gosh, you can watch video after video after video where people continue to make this unfounded claim that based on lot numbers, we can say something about the vaccine effects. So, uh, so anyway, I would just caution people to not be so quick to jump on the bandwagon of somebody who says something without checking it out first, whether it is the courts are bad and you can't win or factual information being misstated, um, uh, you know, in terms of COVID itself. Yeah, I'm glad that you point that out. I think a lot of it has to just do with intellectual laziness. And then a lot of people in our community have a confirmation bias and yeah. everything's all part of the conspiracy and every single person is part of this this agenda when in reality there's all sorts of disparate pieces not to say that there isn't a conspiracy and a lot of ugly sinister stuff at foot afoot but uh not everything is is a conspiracy and not everything you read on the internet is true and unfortunately a lot of people need to be reminded of that well let's face it it's the it's the reverence for experts that got us in this mess you know, Fauci is considered the world's leading virologist. I don't think any of us want to be led by him, right? Mm -hmm. But it's this reverence for experts that causes people to watch a video and say, well, this person has four degrees from Harvard, Yale, and Oxford, must be right. And really what makes that person right is the thing that they told you when you look that up, is that right? And, and I don't even think it's laziness so much as that people don't know they're supposed to question everything, you know? So anyway, well, I hope this has been helpful. To do. I'm looking forward to Thursday when we get to do this again and, um, and focus on homeschool. I'm real passionate about this and, and I want to be as helpful as I can. Awesome. I got one more question for you. Okay. Um, on your homepage, you have these longer term goals and it says design and launch a superior medical system. So uh, I've always been an advocate of creating alternative systems, decentralized systems, our own uh institutions to hopefully compete and rival with a lot of this corrupt stuff can you just talk about that vision that you have and and what yeah. what it might take to pull that off we're gonna do it my company is gonna do it um what it takes to pull it off is enough people to draw from and uh, we've we've known this for a long time we actually wrote our business plan for it in 2014 and that's the comment i made before i feel like i've been preparing for this my whole life um but but i think the key is that um what kills medical systems is money we, nobody can afford it and i think that uh, i've been asked to be in conference calls with groups that have a lot of money and access to a lot of money who've asked me one group said what, what do you think would happen if we took all the doctors that that have walked out, all the nurses that have walked out and, and uh, didn't want to get the jab and all that kind of stuff. We just set them up in clinics all over the country and said, well, you'll be bankrupt in about three years if you do that. Um, and the reason is because the, the real issue in medicine, which led to this crisis, 
is that um, is the, the not using evidence standards. And when I talk about this term evidence has a lot of different meanings. We could talk about this for a whole lot longer than I have today, but uh, at another time, but, but you have to have rules. I've, I've always said that reading the medical literature is like playing football. Okay, the only way that football works is if you have consistent rules in every game. So the quarters are always 15 minutes and the first down is always 10 yards and you got to kick the field goal between the posts. And it's that way wherever the football game is played. And we always know who won with few exceptions. We always know who won based on the rules. And so you've got to apply that same type of standard to reading the medical literature and the professions as a whole don't do it. The drug companies don't do it. The journals don't do it. There's There are no standards. And so my medical system that we will be are creating will be based on evidence standards because that's the only way you can make healthcare affordable for people um, and affordable to operate. So we can talk about that another time, but I'm excited about that at some point in time. We got to get the country freed up first, and then that's the next thing we're going to do. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the big picture visions and the big think. It's always really important to put those big ideas out there and to start slowly but surely chipping away at them. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us. We're really excited uh, for you to be participating in the summit we have coming up, and we will talk to you then. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Pam Popper with Make Americans Free. Again, the website is makeamericansfreeagain.com, makeamericansfreeagain.com. And I do want to invite you once again to check out livefree.academy slash free the children. That's livefree.academy slash free the children, where you can register for the upcoming homeschooling summit. It's going to be absolutely free. All you got to do is register with your email address, and we are going to spend a good amount of time talking about why government schools have been so harmful, talk about the original intent behind government schools, because they've really gone downhill with all the weird woke stuff and the COVID mandates and critical race theory, this and that. But in reality, ever since their inception, it's really been about creating factory workers, creating good citizens that don't question the government. Um, and that's the genesis of government schooling. We're gonna learn a lot from Richard Grove all about that. Uh, so again, you can register for free July 14th. We are going to hear from the good Dr. Ron Paul, Jack Spirico, Carrie McDonald from Foundation for Economic Education, Pam Popper, David Rodriguez, Imani, Brittany J, Vivian Vieves, Lainey Liberty is going to talk to us about unschooling as well. And it'll be hosted by myself and uh, Bluebird, who is going to be leading a workshop later on. We'll tell you all about it at the summit. But I hope you'll register. Again, it's absolutely free. Livefree.academy slash free the children. That's livefree.academy slash free the children. If you're watching on YouTube or Odyssey, I encourage you to subscribe. You can go and click that button and you'll be notified whenever we produce a new video or we're going live. So I hope you'll subscribe to us on YouTube or better yet on Odyssey, a decentralized blockchain based sensor proof platform. Surprise, we're still rocking and rolling here on, uh, on YouTube. But I want to thank you for tuning in. This has been the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use for a free, prosperous, and healthy life. We will talk to you next time. Until then, stay free, friends. Peace and freedom. I'm out.